Let's turn to the book of Ephesians together, chapter 1. Kind of pulling double duty tonight, uh, doing the music and stuff with Cody being out. So if you're here for the first time, it's not normally like this. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us. I'm concluding a series on adoption tonight. This is the fifth part. And uh, we have a podcast on iTunes and stuff. You can check the other parts out if you like. Um, so tonight is going to sort of... Um, bring things to a close and uh, kind of land in a very practical place uh, regarding adoption. Um, and in Ephesians 1, we see uh, kind of a good summation. And so um, I'd like to spend a few minutes sort of pulling together the, just some general ideas of the, of the last few weeks and then kind of land on one big application point and then kind of explain it from there. So let me just recap a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll look at uh, verse five and, verses 5 and 6 in Ephesians 1. And there's actually two words in the end of verse 4. We're just going to push them into verse 5 because it makes more sense that way. Um, it says, In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Now that's a verse that people get uptight about sometimes because it has the word predestined in there. All right, So if that word makes you really nervous, um, just don't worry about it because I'm not going to make a big deal out of that. If that word makes you really like amped up and like finally we're going to talk about predestination, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk about predestination. If you want to talk about that, I would love to get coffee with you sometime. We can talk about it. But that's not, that's not where we're going tonight. So don't worry about that word. Don't focus on that word. There are much better words in the rest of these verses, but that one gets, tends to get all the attention. Let's look at all the other words that are in there. Um, the, first, the first part where it talks about in love, our adoption into the family of God uh, was driven by His love for us. That he didn't, have to, he didn't have to bring us into His family. You know? He could have just saved us from sin and death uh, and crossed us over into eternal life and let us be a part of the kingdom. He didn't have to make us a part of the family. But His love for us is what drove that adoption. Um, and... If you, if you think about it, 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 makes, it just makes a ton of sense. That if God didn't love us, He wouldn't really want us to be a part of His family. But because He does, um, like that was what drove the adoption process. Sometimes that drives like, uh, adoption in, like, in family adoption here you know, in the world. Um, sometimes it's out of love. And sometimes it's out of like, a, a strong sense of... Uh, this is the right thing to do. Uh, I've talked over the last couple of weeks about my my middle brother uh, Drew and his wife Catherine, and how they uh, they had a they had a baby uh, like last week. His name is Amos, and uh, he's apparently awesome. And um, he is, has two older brothers named Landon and Hunter. And Drew and Catherine, uh, Landon and Hunter came to live with Drew and Catherine through the foster care system. They're in, in Kentucky. 
And when they first came to live with them, that Drew and, and, and Catherine, they weren't, their plan was not necessarily to adopt. They said, we just feel like we're supposed to go through the training, the foster care training, and just see what happens. And so they went through the training. Very quickly, these two little brothers, they were placed there in the home. And so immediately, you know, I'm like, dude, are y'all going to adopt these boys? And he's like, we don't know. We don't know. The goal goal is to get them reconciled and restored to their birth parents. He said, so we're we're just trying to do the best job we can of caring for them. And uh, hopefully their parents kind of get their act together and everything goes in that direction, you know. and so they were caring for him and caring for him, and it became more and more clear that the parents were not willing to get their act together to get the custody of the boys back, and that adoption would be an option for Drew and Catherine. And uh, it was so cool to, to watch the process go from these boys being strangers to Drew and Catherine, like they're strangers to each other, and they're trying to, trying to get to know each other, make this work. And then over the weeks and months, to watch that love and that bond happen, to the point where Drew said, if, if they give us the green light to adopt them, we're taking them. Like, they're, we, we love them. With, we love them. That that's what drove them to adopt. It wasn't obligation. It wasn't just a default, whatever. Like, it was love that drove that process. And God's love for you and for me drove him to adopt us. So it says, in love, he predestined us for a- adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Instead of predestined in some sort of weird way, think of, think of it in terms of like he planned it that way for you. He didn't accidentally adopt you. He planned for that to happen. Whenever a, uh, whenever a family adopts a child, they plan it out. They, um, they do their research. They talk to attorneys. They talk to all these kind of things. And they make a plan. And they start to save their money. And they, they have this long-term thing. Adoption doesn't just happen. You plan it. And so God planned from the beginning, I mean, before you were you in the way that you understand you to be you, he planned for you to be a part of his family. That was always the plan. It was always the plan because of his love for you. So he predestined or planned for you to be a part of the family. Um, when it talks about adoption, uh, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. He planned to take you who were a stranger and to make you family to him. To legally change everything about you to become family. There's only two, two things where, where we see that happening. Um, marriage makes family out of people who are not family. Right? You enter into a covenant and then all of a sudden, husband and wife, you're now a family. You weren't family before, now you are family. And adoption is the other thing. You take someone who's not a part of your family... You go through a process, and then they are legally, like officially, 100% a part of the family. Um, that's what he chose to do with us. He, like I said earlier, he could have just saved us, and that would have been amazing. We would be eternally grateful for that. But he said, no, I'm not only going to save you from sin and death forever. I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to give you a seat at my table. I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to bring you into the family business. I'm going to make you a part of this family, a part of the inheritance. Jesus, the rightful heir to everything ever, is, is your co-heir. So he is willing to share the spoils of his whole victory with you forever. And so in love, he, he planned, he predestined for you to be a part of his family, to be adopted as a son and as a daughter. And, it, and notice it says, through Jesus Christ, that he, 
That was the payment. When you adopt a, uh, when a family adopts a child, there's, there's, it costs you something. It costs money. It costs time. It costs, uh, sometimes you have to move to a different house. I mean, it, there's like a price that's paid. And it's worth it. Well, Jesus, the price that was paid was his own life. And he has not regretted paying the price for our adoption. We give him reasons to regret it. You know, we would probably regret it if we were him, but we're not him. That he has paid that price. Through him, we have been adopted. Notice that it says, according to the purpose of his will. That means that he made a choice. He made it like a cognitive, I want to do this. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't default. It wasn't like he didn't lose a bet to adopt you, you know. It was, the, it was his will. It was his desire. Like he wants you to be in his family. Verse 6, it says, To the praise of his glorious grace. That our adoption into his family... It brings like praise and it brings attention to the grace and the goodness of our God. I mean, how, how much more clearly does it paint a picture of the character of our God? You know? That the substitutionary death of Jesus, that's, that's massive, of course. But also, to go, to go beyond that, to go the extra mile with us and make us a part of His family... That just showers praise upon him from us. And it draws attention to his grace. And the, and the world around us, they don't usually, they don't get that side of the story very much. You know? They don't get the, the adoption part of the sequence of events all that often. But it sure does, it sure does make God look um, even more... Gracious and loving and kind and good to know that He has done this for us. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. He's graced us with this beloved co-heir of Jesus. So read those verses again. Just kind of as, those are just some summary thoughts of what He's done. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. And so, uh, two or three weeks of kind of working through some of the, the, just the bones of the like, theological adoption that we're a part of, and what that means for us, and how He's changed everything about us. That he is, because of, of this adoption, nothing will be the same about us ever again. Our entire identity has been changed uh, new name, new purpose, new kingdom, new, poss- new, new possibilities, new everything. Everything is different because of this. And then last week I talked about how it, that impacts the way that we treat one another. That we serve one another. That we live humble lives together. That we consider each other's needs ahead of our own. That, we, that we're honoring to each other. And that is just following after like our big brother who's modeling for us what life in this new family is supposed to look like. 
We're the strangers that have been adopted into this family. We don't know the, we don't know the rules. We don't know the, like, how things work. We don't know the, like, automatically know the character of, of our father yet. We don't, we're learning all these things. And so we have this big brother, our co-heir, Jesus, who's modeling for us what life in this family is supposed to look like. And so, you know, in Ephesians 5, he talks about, um, like Paul is talking about marriage, and he says that husbands and wives should love one another as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her, that she would be holy and without blemish. And so within a marriage, you know, you look, like if you're ever wondering, like, how should we treat each other? It's like, well, you look at how Jesus treats the church, and then you just imitate that. And it's the same way in the family of God. We're like, how, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves in, in, as far as interacting with each other? Well, we look at our co-heir and big brother, Jesus, and however he treated people, that's how we should do the same thing. He's demonstrating that for us. And so that was last week. And so today we kind of land, and let me just make a statement that's probably, you know, probably all seen this coming a mile away, right? That we as Christians should be what? We should be adopting, shouldn't we? We as Christians should be, let me, let me phrase it a little bit differently. We as Christians should be involved in adoption. We should be the most involved in adoption in our world. We should be leading the charge in the like, orphan care crisis that exists in our world. We should be passionate about this. And so you might be thinking, why? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let me, let me turn a few pages over. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me tell you, th- let me just give you three of, there's probably a list like six miles long of why we should be involved. But let me give you, let me give you like a top three, because preachers have to use threes, right? The first, the first reason why we should be involved in adoption, that we as Christians should be leading the charge in this, is because God is an adopter. He is an adopter. So uh, we're going to put these verses on the, on the screens. You don't need to turn to it. Just, just kind of listen to them. When I say God is an adopter, everything I've just said out of Ephesians 1 proves that. So you and I have been adopted by this father who is an adopter. Okay. Second Peter three nine says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That God as this adopting father has this desire for none to perish and to be outside of the family. But that all should repent, okay, so, so to, like, to turn and to change the way that you think, to cross from death into life, to go from being a stranger to being a son or a daughter, that all should come to repentance in that way. So he is an adopter, and he wants to adopt everybody. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, this is similar. He says, this is good. He's been talking about living a godly life and those kinds of things. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, of God our Savior, 
who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, he wants all people to be saved. And what is a part of salvation? Adoption. He doesn't save some, and he doesn't save a bunch, but then adopt a few. Salvation and adoption all go together. Everyone who's saved is adopted. So he wants everyone saved from sin and death, so he wants everyone to come into the family. John 14, verse 2 and 3. This is Jesus speaking. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, none of these passages are explicitly about adoption. But they're telling us something about God's heart. The first two were talking about his desire for all to be saved and to come to a saving knowledge. Jesus is saying, hey, in my, my dad's uh, house, there's a bunch of rooms. So you might, you might be thinking right now, like, uh, our family couldn't adopt because we don't have any space in our house. Well, God has lots of space. It's a big, big house. <laughs> you can even play what? All right. If you don't understand that joke, you're better off. You're just better. You miss the 90s and contemporary Christian music, and you're better, you're better for it. So there's this preacher that talks about how that, that's how he knows that God is sovereign, that anyone got saved in the 80s at all, you know? Okay. But in God's house, there's, there's lots of rooms, and his, he's like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's making a space for more people. He's adding on to the house. That's what happened when you got married. They, you would go and you would build a room onto the family house. And he's saying, in my father's house, there's all these rooms just waiting to be filled. He said, I'm preparing a place. That tells us about God's heart. Luke 13, verse 34. This is Jesus again. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Listen to his heart. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. A hen gathers her brood together. He's looking at these people that he describes as like a sheep without a shepherd. His desire is to bring them together, to bring his children together. That our God is an adopter. He did not create us to die. He created us to live and to live forever. He did not create us to be outside of a family. He created us to be inside of his family, inside of his kingdom. It's how we were made. And sin messed that up, and Jesus came to fix it. And his desire is to adopt literally everyone. That God is an adopter. And yes, we're talking spiritual adoption. Okay, yes. But Ephesians 5, verse 1 which is where I had asked you to turn, says this. He's been talking about just all this good stuff, okay? He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. God is an adopter. We are to imitate him. Now that drives us in sharing the gospel with people. 
so that people can be spiritually adopted into his family. That's the family business that we're a part of. That's our new name, our new identity. Everything about us is different. That's what is driving us forward, yes. But there's also a way to imitate God in a very practical sense. God is an adopter, and we are to be adopters also. So that's the first, the first point. The second point um, is Christians being involved in adoption, it's a natural outworking of our own adoption. It just makes sense. If you were adopted, you have a heart for adoption. If you came through the foster care system, you have a heart for the foster care system. You were adopted into the family of God. So you're, the deeper that our understanding of our spiritual adoption goes, the more we will realize, as someone who's been adopted, we should be driven to adoption of others. It should tie us that way. It's the same thing with, with, with forgiveness, you know? Bible says uh, says essentially like you who are forgiven should not withhold forgiveness from other people. So we who are adopted should not withhold adoption from other people as well. So the first thing God God is an adopter. The second thing it's a natural outworking of our own adoption, our own understanding of the depths of what He has done for us. And the third thing is is a way to care for. Uh, the unprotected among us. The Bible talks about widows and orphans. That as a part of the kingdom that we're a part of, this is a natural outworking of that. That kids should, be, should not be without parents. It's not the way it's supposed to go. And so when kids don't have parents, we need to find them parents. We need to become parents for them. It's an obedience issue. It's a, a natural expression of the gospel and of the kingdom of God at work among us. So as Christians, we should all, every single one of us, be involved in adoption in some way, shape, or form. Now, don't hear me saying that I think everybody needs to go out and adopt kids, because I don't think that's the case. I don't believe that that's God's will for every person in here, necessarily. So what does it mean to be involved in adoption if, if it's not everybody go adopt? There are several, there are several options, and, and I just kind of want to run through some practical things just in a second. But, but before I get to that, let me just kind of establish this baseline thing. That we need to seek God's will for our lives as individuals and as families and as a church family in regard to adoption. And if, if there's a process that is, that is rooted in prayer and deep abiding and the wisdom that, that God offers and from the scriptures and from the kingdom perspective and the right amount of uh, community wisdom that's poured into it, and if our process looks really, really good and really, really godly and really led by the Spirit, then we can arrive at different conclusions and there be unity among us. And so I believe that there are some, some families, some couples who will be led to adopt. And there are some who will not be led to adopt. And there are people like me who are not married. You know? So could I adopt? I, like Technically I can. Is that wise? Probably not, honestly. And so what, what am I supposed to do? You know? What about our like, college students and high school students who are here who are not to the marriage point yet, but like, so what do you do with this? Is this do you just... 
just check out for the rest of the sermon now because it doesn't apply to you right now. No. That all of us need to be seeking God's will and be very open-handed with our lives and saying, God, what, how, how do you want me to be involved in adoption? Is it to adopt? Is it to, you know, or any of the other kind of things? Whatever it is, if we're open-handed with our lives, he can lead us to different conclusions. So it's really about like stewarding this opportunity in front of us. So let me give you a couple of practical things. Let me count them. So I know you guys like numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six. How about that? Six. Okay. Six things, six different ways that adoption, um, that we can be involved in adoption as a church, as community groups, as families, as individuals. It'll kind of cover the whole spectrum. All right. The first one, adoption. You can adopt a kid. You can adopt a couple of kids. You can do all that. It's all possible. There are uh, international adoptions. There are domestic, like in the United States, adoption. Um, sometimes it's expensive. Sometimes it's really not expensive. There's a rep- it has a reputation of being really costly. And sometimes it is, but it's not all the way, like not always. Um, there are 145 million-ish orphans globally right now. 145 million And does that mean that everybody's supposed to like, get on a plane and go to one of these countries and adopt a kid? Maybe. Maybe not. But have you thought about that? Or have you prayed about that? Are you entertaining that possibility? Does that scare the bejesus out of you? Um, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of put it out there. You know, It needs to be on our radar. And so if it's not on your radar, put it on your radar. If you are married and y'all have never talked about it, Start talking about it. I'm just praying about it. If you are not married, ask the Lord to, to really like, like drop that into your heart now. It's cool when you, when, when you see people and they'll, they'll get married and they'll start talking about that and they're like, man, you know, I've always kind of wanted to adopt. Like, I've always kind of wanted to adopt. Awesome. God will do that. Like, He'll give you a passion and a heart for things. My brother and his wife, they both... They both had that in them before they even met each other. Just this desire to see the kingdom lived out in that kind of way. And here's a, here's a let me very delicately just say this. That I think that adoption sometimes has the, the stigma of being like a backup plan. It's like, well, if we can't have our own kids, we'll just adopt, you know. That's not, that's not it. That's not correct, that's not right, that's not whatever. So adoption is not a backup plan. It's, it, at, when, and not to use my brother and his wife for, as every illustration, but it's just the closest to home for me. For them, like when they were like, hey, we're, gonna, we're going through the foster care, you know, classes and stuff. And, and uh, he was like, and no, it's not that we've been trying to have kids and we can't. He said, we, just, we felt like we were supposed to do this. And then, you know, whatever happens, happens. And so they're actually going to adopt the two boys, and they had their own kid probably within like a month of each other, you know. Um, God just does crazy stuff like that. And so whatever he wants to do in that area of life, adoption is, uh, yeah, that's the first, the first thing. Don't rule it out because of money. Don't rule it out because of anything else. Come to the Lord and say, how is this supposed to fit into my life? That's the first one. The second one is, uh, is foster care. Um, foster care is when 
When you have a, a child or children who are removed from uh, the home because that home is not safe for them, um, whether it's uh, drugs or violence or neglect, or you know, there's just a number of reasons why that could be the case. And so they're, they're brought into the, the care and custody of the state, and they're placed in homes that can provide the care while they try and get the parents uh, to kind of like get things together and create a safe environment for the kids again. The goal being restoring them, but that's not, not always how it works. Um, in America, there are approximately 500,000 kids involved in, uh, in the foster care system. There are um, 4,873 was the last number that I could find in Louisiana. So 4,800 kids have been removed from their homes in our state, and there are 2,000 certified homes where those kids uh, can go live. So people who have gone through training and have said, we will open up our home to kids who have been removed, and we will care for them and provide for them and love them while the state works with the parents to get things back together. That's what foster care is supposed to be. Um, 4,800 kids in Louisiana, only 2,000 homes that are certified. Uh, So that is another way to be involved with adoption. Is to say, we got got space, you know. And you have to, you know, there's there's classes you have to go to, and there are just like steps that are taken and that kind of stuff. Um, But that is another way of being involved with adoption that is just as significant as adopting a child. Sometimes the, the parents are, uh, the children are placed back in the home. Sometimes they are adopted. Sometimes, you know, it can go a number of different ways. But that is another option that is there. Both of these things, though, both of these things greatly impact the trajectory of the lives of the kids involved. I, the first week or two of this series, I talked about this orphanage in Johannesburg that has a, a box built into the door of the place and people w- can place an unwanted baby inside of the box and uh, close the door and a little alarm goes off and the, they can like keep, keep walking and they can just disappear. And uh, a little alarm goes off and the staff comes out and they take the baby and they run all the medical tests and then they try and get the baby adopted and they will only adopt... They only place a baby with Christian families uh, throughout the continent of Africa. And um, those kids, they go from a life that was headed to destruction into a life that is, has like possibilities of hope and restoration. So adoption and foster care both radically um, can change the trajectory of a life. And so shouldn't we as Christians be on the front lines, you know? Shouldn't we be the ones who are like, like trying to eliminate like the, the gap that's there? Rick Warren is the pastor at Saddleback Church in California. He issued a challenge to his church, which is like, I don't know, 15,000 people or something like that. And they have, he, he did all the math and he figured out like, hey, if, every one of our, if one couple in every one of our small groups will become a foster parent, we can eliminate the need for a foster care system in our county. And so he just told that he's he sold the whole church. I think we need to do this. So y'all start praying. And I looked, and I couldn't find. If anybody knows an update on this, I don't really. I couldn't find like whatever happened from that. But uh, the impact that made on me, I was like, of course, shouldn't the church be the one to step up and say, hey, let's just 
eliminate the need for this whole system. If a kid needs to, needs to be removed from a home, where, where should we put them? In the homes of Christians. It makes so much sense. Because we were adopted. We were cared for. We're imitators of God. He is an adopter. So we imitate him in that way. Adoption. Foster care. Uh, the, third, the third thing is something that's called respite care. When you are a foster parent... Um, and let's say that you want. Let's say that it's a husband and wife who are foster parents, and they want to like go out of town for a weekend or just go on a date. Imagine that. You can't. You can't just like like call up a like babysitter and let them come watch the kids. Foster. You have to go through specific training to be able to do what's called respite care. So whether it's a night or it's a weekend. Um, you have to be trained because they're wards of the state, you know, that whole thing. So they want to make sure that these kids are being looked after like, and cared for the best way. And it's a massive need in the foster care community is for people who have been through the respite care training to be able to help the foster parents by just giving them a break sometimes and helping them out and the, those kind of things. And so when, when you have a list, if you, you know, if... If you have a list of like possible babysitters, but they all had to go through this real specific training, it'd be a really short list. And so another way that we can be involved in adoption is we can go through the training for respite care and be on the list. So whenever uh, these parents are like, hey, we, we just need a night out, we can go in and bless them by being able to look after these kids. And so that's something that, can you imagine, like if, let's say, what if, what if one of our community groups was like, we're all going to go through the training, and in the community where your group meets, you could contact the locals, and you could say, like, hey, we're all going to be on this list, and so we just kind of want to help bless the foster parents who are out there and get to know these kids and bless them and that kind of stuff. That's directly being involved in adoption, and the heartbeat of adoption, it's, it's, it's there. So respite care. Um, another one is CASA, stands for Court Appo- uh, Appointed Special Advocates. So these kids are, there's just all these, um, you know, there's these court proceedings and all this kind of stuff they have to go through. So imagine a kid who's been removed from their home and they're having to go and meet with the, the judge and all these people and stuff like that. So CASA are people who are advocates who relationally get to know these kids and they're with them in all the meetings and they're explaining things and they're speaking up on behalf of the kid and it's an official thing that you go through and again, you're trained to go through that and um, you're able to give them a voice. A six-year-old probably doesn't really know what to say, but maybe you do. And I was reading on the, like the Baton Rouge CASA website and said that only 18% of the volunteers they have right now to be CASA advocates are men. Only 18% are men. And so there's a big need for, uh, for guys to come in and be willing to sit with this, this young boy who just needs a man to stand up for him, you know, to look out for him and to make sure that he doesn't get messed over through any sort of system or anything like that. Again, that's caring for the uncovered um, in a very specific way. The next thing. The... The parentless among us. I didn't really know of a better way to say that. Uh, that even just among us in this room, 
not everyone has like a mom and a dad who are super involved in their lives, no matter how old you might be. And we have a number of college students, and we, our church comes out of a college ministry background, and that's, that's a big thing for us and always will be. Um, and some of them have, have parents that are very involved and you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but not everyone does, and not just the college students, adults as well. For us to be able to look around and to be like surrogate parents, I know that might sound kind of strange, but doesn't it make a lot of sense that if you grew up if if you grew up without a dad or you grew up without a mom, shouldn't you be able to come into the church and find father figures and mother figures who can care for you and love you and bless you and help you with things that maybe like parents normally would, but for whatever reason they haven't for you? We have college students uh, who are away from home; their parents are far, far away. The goal would not be to replace their parents, but it would be like, hey, we'll look after your kid while they're away from, from here. We'll help them with their car issues or with financial stuff or with uh, trying to move from one place to another, you know, those kind of things. We'll, we'll look out for each other. There's the spirit of adoption in the sense that we are going to make sure that no one exists without some sort of covering that they need. And so... Our involvement can be, even within this room, looking out for, looking for the gaps in the covering, you know? Looking out for each other, honoring one another, considering one another, and making sure that people are covered. To all of, the, all of you who are in here who are married and you have kids... Um, I don't want to be like cryptic about this, but if anything ever happens to you, or one of you, or both of you, uh, you need to know that you're, we're going to take care of your kids. We're going to take care of your widow, or your widower. We're going to make sure that everybody's okay. So if there's a part of you that has that fear of like, man, what if something ever happens to me? What's going to happen? We're going to, we're going to take care of it. Because we're involved in each other's lives. We look out for each other. We take care of each other. We honor one another. We consider one another. And if something happens, we're going to take care of the widows and the orphans among us. So of all the things you are worried about, you can take that one off the list. All right? We got you covered. Because we were all adopted. We were all cared for. We were all brought in. The last thing is related to what I just said. Just an investment in each other's families. We stand beside those who are adopting. We stand beside those who are fostering. We stand beside those who are struggling with the idea of family and just all that, that everything that comes along with that. That there is a unity and a cohesion among us that if... if you are, if adoption is not what God has for you, but it is what it has for the person you're sitting next to or someone in your community group, that you're in it with them. So for me, I don't think that I'm supposed to adopt as an unmarried adult male. But I think I'm supposed to be involved in adoption. I know that. I believe that. So I have to pursue what is that supposed to be. 
Is that respite care? Is that CASA volunteering? Is that like being a surrogate like dad figure to people in the church who don't have that? I mean, what is it supposed to be? Well, that's between me and the Lord. And that's between you and the Lord. But there's a blanket um, ch- like charge that is over us in the family. In our Father's house, there are many rooms. And He wants to gather us together. His desire that everyone would come to a saving knowledge. And we imitate Him. We imitate Him in spiritual adoption. We imitate Him in like, uh, like horizontal, like literal, physically taking care of those who do not have a covering. It's all the same stuff. And so I don't know where it fits into your life. But it fits somewhere. Maybe you're supposed to pray about adopting or fostering or one of those kind of other things. Maybe, maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you used to think about it when you were younger and you pushed it to the back because life just got crazy. Maybe God's wanting it to be put back on the front. Maybe in a year or two years or five years, we're going to have adopted kids in here, fostered kids in here, more and more and more and more. Maybe he's preparing our church to be on the front lines of just caring for anyone who's uncovered. I don't know what he's doing. But I know that it's a stewardship issue for us, corporately and individually and everywhere in between. So, there it is. I don't know where it lands with you, like I always say. um, That's between you and him. But all of this is an extension of the gospel to us. So how about you stand? We're going to sing a little bit.